It is Super Wednesday here in Cowboys Nation as we are mere days away from the start of free agency for the National Football League, where we will most likely be shocked and delighted by what goes down with some of the impact players moving away from the NFC East, hopefully. So welcome back in to another edition of About Them Cowboys here on The Athletic. Your guide for all things America's team. I am Kent Garrison, your producer and... Sinbad in the movie First Kid of the podcast, keeping things lighthearted around here as we dive deep into all the issues facing the Dallas Cowboys this week. And we will do so with our panel of experts here at the one and only Athletic. And remember, you can follow along with our award-winning NFL offseason coverage at The Athletic by becoming a member of our athletic community. You can secure your subscription good through March of 2021 now at theathletic.com slash aboutthemcowboys for 40% off. And that rounds out to about $3 per month. So say goodbye to one of those mediocre beers at happy hour every month and get the most exceptional sports coverage you'll get anywhere. And that also includes Dane Brugler's upcoming 2020 draft guide at no extra cost to you. Also, Dane Brugler and Chris Burke are hard at work breaking down this draft over on our Prospects to Pros podcast, so be sure to subscribe to that as well wherever you find your podcast. So get on it now. Get that 40% off at theathletic.com slash aboutthemcowboys. So now it's time to welcome in our panel for this episode. He'd be the first to volunteer to fly a fighter jet to fight off any potential Cowboys defectors, and he's constantly giving inspirational speeches. I'd say he's the President Thomas J. Whitmore slash Bill Pullman of the podcast. It's Father John Mishoda. Hey, John. How are you doing? I'm good, man. After that week in Indy, um, you know, I hate to be the guy that just complains about the weather all the time, but it was just real nice to kind of, after those five days, get on a flight, watch Jojo Rabbit for the fifth time, and by the time it lands, <laughs> it's it's 75. It's like... You just snap your fingers and it goes from 30 to 75. I was just, I'm very happy to be back in Dallas. Man, I'm so happy that you're a Jojo Rabbit fan, John. You know, to be honest, I, you know, you ask me for movie recommends a lot. And <laughs> if I had recommended Jojo Rabbit, I would, it's 99% sure you would have been like, no, no, no chance. Doesn't interest me <laughs> at all. In fact, I thought you would probably would have laughed at me for, for suggesting that. But, man, I'm so happy that you've come around on that. And maybe we'll have a little JoJo Rabbit discussion at some point on the show. But that's definitely a weekly recommend for me. And uh, check out my side movie podcast. We did a little JoJo Rabbit talk at Mad About Movies, if that interests you. And, man, he is back making his triumphant return to the hosting chair He's been flying like an eagle for the past week with the eagle, but now he's back talking draft and free agency and Cowboys with us, and he will lay the smackdown on anyone who doesn't think Dak deserves a new deal. I'd say he's the President Camacho of the podcast. I'll take it. Back to making this show great again. It's Kevin KT Turner. KT, we missed you at the Combine, man. Man, I, I miss going to Indianapolis. Um, I only went to one Combine in 2016, but I had so much fun, and... Uh, yeah, it sucks that I couldn't go, but, I, you know, at least I have a job, like a real job now, full-time job now, so I'll, I guess I have to take that <laughs> over spending, uh, you know, a week at uh, St. Elmo's and, 
you know, all that good stuff in Indianapolis. White Castle. Yeah. You know, that was the most disappointing thing. Not a big White Castle fan on my end. Uh, you know, our, our, our good friend uh, Jeff Cavanaugh over at 105.3 was always like, I grew up in St. Louis and White Castle's, it's a beast. And uh, I just, I didn't enjoy White Castle. I'm with you. <laughs> I'm with you there. I'm not about the, let's just cover everything in, in onion and onion, uh, I guess, residue. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not not about that at all. But it was actually very impressive, KT, how much Jeff Cavanaugh liked White Castle. And I think he ate it every single day for about, I don't know, six days at lunch. He had like 14 White Castle mini burgers. And it's pretty impressive. I got I to hand it to him. I couldn't do that. And I don't really know anyone else that could. So... Definitely, Kate, if they make another Harold and Kumar, that Kate, you know Jeff Cavanaugh will probably be in the conversation for starring in that thing for sure. The White Castle love there, absolutely. And you know, I just, I wanted to like it. I just I just I just couldn't. And you know, I, you know what? We don't have White Castles here in Texas, so maybe it's one of those things where it's like you have to grow up with it to enjoy it. But let's get it uh, let's get it going, and let's get it going with. Let's start out before we do combine stuff. Let's kind of talk about the situation with Dak. I mean, that's obviously the lead story when you talk Cowboys right now. And let's kind of talk about the pros and cons of, you know, a franchise tag and how it could be used. It feels like we're on a crash course to a Dak Prescott franchise tag. Um, obviously, what's happening with the CBA is a very important thing in all of this and how the Cowboys you know, deal with their salary cap and Amari Cooper and Byron Jones – and maybe we'll get into Byron Jones a little bit when we start talking about some of these performers at the Combine. But, John, just from where we're at, March 4th is the day we're recording this. Uh, do, does it feel imminent that Dak Prescott plays uh, or at least gets tagged and then and then they still try to figure it out from there? Yeah, that's what it seems like. Uh, that exclusive rights tag, the one that would be closer to around $33 million, not the $27 million one, that one – the lower one is the one that allows other teams to kind of, you know, go ahead and bid on on a, on a player, and uh, that's not what the Cowboys want. They don't want to be bidding against other teams for Dak Prescott services. Obviously, under that tag, if somebody was to give a higher offer, then the Cowboys would receive draft picks in in return. But uh, they don't want to go down that road. No, uh, no matter what Tom Brady talk you hear, or Philip Rivers, or Jameis Winston, or Teddy Bridgewater, that's not. They're not interested in that at all. They're they got their guy, and they want to keep their guy here. And so they would prefer it to be on an extension. And that is the goal. Even if they get him on the franchise tag, is to eventually get him uh, to a long term extension. But as of right now. They can't afford to lose him, and because of that, he's their number one priority, and, and they're just not going to let him go. I mean, talking to Jerry Jones of the Combine last week, I mean, made it painfully obvious. It's there's They're not looking to go in any other direction, kick the tires on any other guys, draft anybody, any quarterback at 17. Dak Prescott is their guy. They're going to pay him. Uh, they've made an offer. They made an offer to him back in September. Talks really didn't get off the ground. Uh, neither side really got close. And then so uh, they met back at the Combine last week, and, and obviously nothing is is close yet, but those things can come together quickly, especially as deadlines close in. And so that's where they're at right now. But, um, it, you know, with the new CBA, if that goes into play, then, you know, you're only going to have the one tag. And so that means then you got to sign Mamari Cooper or he's off to uh, sign with whatever the highest bidder is. So you don't want to be in that position either. You want to at least sign one of these guys so you can put the tag on the other. But as of right now, if they can't sign either of them, they're putting the tag on Dak Prescott. If you were guessing, would you say that this is Dak's side holding out or or just the Cowboys not showing a willingness to get it done or a little bit of 
both, just kind of waiting until I, things kind of ha- ha- happen with the CBA and, and like that. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of dragging of their feet on both sides. Uh, one, on Dak's side, they're certainly not trying to make any deals. They're, I mean, they're trying to, you know, this is Todd France's first quarterback. Um, he, he wants to get this deal right, and he's known for getting his players you know, the, the, the big deals. I mean, he's, he's as good as there is in the business at it. And so he's not trying to take a discount. And then the other side with the Cowboys, you know, they've made an offer that they think is fair and, and they're probably willing to come up a little bit, um, but they're not going to come up a ton. And it seems like that there's a little bit of a difference right there right now. And so uh, because of that, it just, it's hard for me to just, you know, say, oh, you know, it's just the Cowboys being cheap or it's just Dak asking for too much. I mean, I, I can understand where both sides are coming from on this, you know, a Dak, obviously feels like he's done enough to uh, be one of the highest paid quarterbacks in the league. And the Cowboys are like, yeah, and and we want you to be here and, and we want you to be one of the highest paid quarterbacks, but we also want to do it in a way. So we have a little bit of money left over so we can sign this guy, this guy, and this guy, and maybe add another guy. Here's my question about the, the tag. Why wouldn't they use the tag on Amari? Because I feel like they feel better about reaching a long-term deal with Dak than they would with Amari. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, I feel but like I, I think that it tells deck. you, but it tells you exactly how close they are then. Because yeah. they, if they, if they were that close with Amari, I, I believe they would be doing that too. But because they probably aren't that close with Dak, that's why he's going to get it because they can't afford to. If they were close on it, I, I don't, I don't think you'd even hear uh, this talk coming out of the combine about about the tag so much. But because they're not close, uh, that's why you're hearing. And and if you have to just do the one one out of the other. You're picking Dak, and that's and that's where they're at right now. But I don't think they're particularly close with either of them. And, and honestly, both of these players, uh, agents, especially Dak's agent, as you were kind of saying, he wants to get the deal right. But you look at like that of this quarterback market where there's a lot of guys who are available who you could easily argue are not as good <laughs> as he is. So what if Tom Brady signs a deal with someone for two years at uh, $30 million? Well, you're sitting there going, well, I, mean, I don't know if maybe Tom Brady's not the great greatest gauge to compare a player to just because of his accolades or whatever. But, man, you, you can easily go, okay, well, Dak is the best free agent quarterback on the market. I, I, I think right now Dak is a better player than Phillip Rivers. I think you'd have to see – I mean, Tom Brady didn't have weapons last year, but I think Dak played better than Tom Brady last year, uh, obviously. And I think, you know, you can sit there and go, man, this, this CBA is going to happen – and if it happens and the salary cap goes up, then just waiting is just going to be the best thing to do. And then and Cowboy fans, may their eyes may roll in the back of their heads, but, man, that's where you start to look at it. And the, the amount of money allocated from a percentage standpoint of the salary cap, you start going, man, $37, $38 million a year is actually a good landing zone. If you look at the increase of how much the cap will go up. And there's rumors of the cap going up once this deal, uh, CBA is done at the end of this CBA. You know, the last five to ten years, uh, the last five, six, seven years of the CBA, the salary cap will be ridiculous, which it always goes up, as we know. But if it continues to do that, but even at a higher rate than it's been doing, well, that's also more of a – if I'm Stephen and Jerry, it's also more of a reason to just go sign everybody to do it now. And if you do have to flip a couple switches and do a couple restructures, I know you don't want to be in that position, but I think it's it makes it more sense to do it now – when you know things are going to go up crazy. And honestly, Dak at 36 might look like a bargain. Amari Cooper at 18, 19 might look like a bargain in as little as two years. 
And that's where, like, I, I, I said we weren't going to get into Byron Jones here, but that's where, to me, just letting Byron Jones walk without putting up a fight is very dangerous. Because, to me, I think you could get Byron Jones back because I just think you're going to have room to play. And I, I would hate to have that happen. And the CBA gets done, and then you're like, man, I wish we would have gone ahead and paid Byron because we could. But, you know, all that is still up in the air. But it does seem like that's why Jerry might be – I mean, Jerry's obviously looking for the big picture of the league. You know, I think more than more than the Cowboys specific situation. I truly believe that. I mean, without Jerry Jones, there's no salary cap, and you know, maybe it would have came along eventually. But he helped make make the salary cap, so I think he does care about the league and the future of the league. I do think he truly cares about that stuff. But this is where it's all he's interesting. He's making comments about wanting to get this done and saying, "Hey, this is a good deal, and the players need to understand this is a good deal." Obviously, he has to talk like that as an owner, but. It's kind of it, very beneficial to the Cowboys if this CBA happens as soon as possible. I just don't know. But I feel like I feel like the agents know that too, though. Yeah, they you know. know. What I'm saying like they, they know what kind know. of game they're playing too, and so they're not going to be trying to take any bargains right now because they know that that what that's going to do to their reputation if they do a deal right now and it's a you know lower level deal and and but it's to keep a guy with the Dallas Cowboys as soon as this new CBA gets approved and and, and the salary cap goes up they're going to look like they didn't know what they were doing might even lose clients because of it so I kind of feel like a lot of people are in a holding pattern right now including these agents uh, for these guys so I'm sure if somebody wanted to come to them with a bargain price or whatever I'm sure they do it I mean I feel like that's kind of what happened when they did Lyle Collins and Jalen Smith's deals you know it was like hey these weren't the next ones in line but hey if you're gonna want to take a little bit less let's get these deals done right now i'm sure if somebody was going to do that like i'd say uh you know xavier woods or, or somebody like that i'm sure they would they'd be interested i'm very interested there like how you get this control that the players have um and it turns out i mean the control that the teams have um yannick uh in uh in god i just struggle with his name the pass rusher for for the jaguars in i think is how you say his name I've I've always sucked at saying his name, even when he was coming out of college. But really good player. Report comes out yesterday that the Jaguars are likely going to franchise him, and then he immediately goes to Twitter and is like, "Uh, the Jaguars are aware that I'd no longer have interest in signing a long-term contract in Jacksonville. And you have all these players who are like, gosh, I don't know, the franchise tag is is so beneficial to the teams. And like, no matter what – the NFL Players Association thinks they get out of this next CBA, there's always still going to be an element of these guys are kind of getting screwed over a little bit, in my eyes. At least that's how I'm kind of viewing it now. Hey, if they're fighting to not play a 17th game or whatever, you know, uh, they're probably fighting for marijuana rules and all that stuff. But just the idea of, I don't want to be in a place anymore, but this team can now control me for two more years. Just like happened with Kirk Cousins. I should probably look into I should probably look into this, but uh, it, you saying that made me just think of like, when has it worked out for the team though, in sense of like, cause I agree with you too. Like it's obviously not getting these guys the long-term deal with higher guarantees and that. So it's not a great benefit to them. Um, obviously it gives them the guaranteed money for one season and, and it makes you amongst the highest paid players of your position. But even from the team standpoint, I don't know where like the great benefits are there. Like how many guys signed the franchise tag and played for one more year with the team. And that was enough to put them over the edge for a Super Bowl. 
And then there's the guys like you mentioned with Kirk Cousins, where it's like, I wouldn't say that that worked out for Washington at all, you know? And so, yeah. um, I don't know. I don't know who really wins in this yeah. because I don't know that there's nothing that glaringly just stands out to me. Yeah, there's there's two cases that stand out to me, but these are not a double franchise situation. It was just a one franchise situation. Uh, and he had a bad knee. Anthony Spencer, way back in the early 2010s. Um, but the, the most recent one, I think, is Cliff Averill with Detroit. And I don't know. You may have a better feel for what kind of like a you know character guy Cliff Averill is or whatever. But you know they franchised him, and it was kind of clear that he wanted to be a free agent. They franchised him, and he ends up not playing. Now he was hurt, but he didn't play much last year. Now I know he had a bad shoulder. I think he had the labrum thing, just like Demarcus Lawrence did. But I thought it was interesting. Like, hey, we franchised a guy, and he didn't play much for us. Like that's always interesting to me. And it was pretty clear that he just wanted to go be a free agent you know leading up to that we said those are the stories that were coming out so but you're right yeah it's not something where it's like the team is winning when they do that and i think washington redskins are the are the you know prime example of that very fascinated to see what they do if they put I, i'm assuming they go run and, and draft chase young at number two in the draft but it would be interesting if that pick came up for sale and there was some action at number two in the draft and uh, you know, we just talked about Detroit at number three in the draft. I think that's where the draft really gets interesting. Like, do you take your quarterback in the future there, or what do you do? So, I, Matt, this is a, a fun time of the year. We're now 50 days away from the NFL draft. We'd like to pause this episode of About Them Cowboys for a brief minute to ask you, our faithful, loyal, excellent listeners, to click into the show notes of today's episode and then follow the link to a very short survey. You all know so much about us here at About Them Cowboys. You know KT doesn't like White Castle, but we don't know really anything about you. This survey is 11 simple questions, and it'll take you less than 60 seconds, I promise. So head to the show notes for today's episode and click on the link. Let us know a little bit about you so we can tailor the show to you better. Thanks in advance for doing the survey. Now back to you, KT. John, back on February 24th, you wrote an article in The Athletic, my favorite website. And it was called 10 Potential Cowboys Targets to Follow at This Week's NFL Scouting Combine. And I got to tell you, John, I took your advice and I followed these 10 potential Cowboy targets at the Combine. Your number one on that list is Javon Kinlaw of South Carolina, who only measured, didn't work out. You know why? Because you didn't really need to work out. Um, The medicals were kind of a, a big story for him. He, I don't know how you feel, and I, I know you're probably still kind of diving into these prospects a little bit and, and that type of thing, but I can tell you with uh, full comfort and authority that Javon Kinlaw is the one guy at 17 that's that's realistic, I think, that I'm really excited about the potential of him falling to the Cowboys. I think he's the one clear guy for me where if we were sitting and watching the draft at a draft party, I would high-five you and go, that's freaking good. That's how I feel about Javon Kinlaw. Yeah, I I don't watch the tape like I know that you do, and I go off of more of just like people I talk to that uh, have studied these guys, and then obviously being at the Combine, that factors in as well. I'm not saying that it completely knocks you up you know, 10 picks or something like that, but it matters, you know, when you perform well at the combine, like we'll talk about CJ Henderson, obviously in a little bit, but um, he's, he was my number one guy in that list and nothing changed from the combine. He still is the number one guy. And, and, and when I put that list together, it was of guys that, I mean, for one, it's all defensive guys. Cause I really think they need yeah. to draft a lot of defense. Um, and so it's basically just, I went through 
guys going into this combine that were D tackles, DNs, um, safeties, and corners. That's what I, really what I was focusing on. And so, but even when I go back after now the combine's over with, I still would have Kinlaw as the number one guy. And if he's there at 17, um, he makes more sense than just about anybody. That Any other scenario I can think of that's realistic, he tops it. So the 20, uh, was it the 2014 draft? Is that the Zach Martin draft? Yeah, Johnny Menzel, Zach yep. Martin. And uh, really, it was a situation where you, we'd kind of been uh, – told or were led to believe that Ryan Shazier would have been the pick if the Steelers didn't take him uh, the pick before the Cowboys were up. And I kind of feel like with the Falcons right there at 16, right in front of the Cowboys, you know, they need some defensive line help as well. Um, They could use a cover guy as well. But I feel like between Javon Kinlaw and I think C.J. Henderson is that cornerback from Florida – I think it's a Zach Martin, uh, Ryan Shazier situation this year in this draft. Now, Cowboys could obviously move back. They could move up. They could do a lot of things. But I think you're going to have a situation. Now, Ken Law may not make it that far. I mean, heck, C.J. Henderson, with the way that he performed at the Combine, may not make it that far either. But I, I feel so much better about getting cornerback help, or really secondary help, later in the draft you know, then I do it at 17. I, I think if Byron walks, I do think C.J. Henderson makes a lot of sense, or we'll see who they like more. We'll talk about some of these other guys here in a minute. But, you know, Ken Law and C.J. Henderson make so much sense in that area. And the thing that I think could really help them is just action with the quarterbacks. The fact that Justin Herbert and Jordan Love, by all accounts, had a pretty good combine throwing the ball well. Um, you know, I, I don't know if they had a great you know senior bowl week. But kind of looking at those guys and you start to go, okay, the hype is real on those guys. Those guys are absolutely going to be top 17 picks. You know, you've now made it a 13-player draft once the four quarterbacks are taken out of the account there uh, in the top 17. So I think there's a a chance the Cowboys could get some action there, good action there at 17, and won't have to move. Well, it's funny you mentioned the Falcons because when you you go through a lot of these mock drafts, they have, you know, Kinlaw, if when if he is slipping past, you know, 12 or 13, it is, like you said, going to the Falcons at 16. Uh, Dane Brugler just put up his new uh, three-round mock draft uh, on The Athletic, and, and that thing is a must-read. Uh, obviously, Dane's as good as it comes in this business, and he was out there in Indy the entire time and um, uh, hitting his latest one. He has Kinlaw going right there at the Falcons. So, hey, maybe what you need to do if you're the Cowboys is maybe you need to trade up uh, just two spots to get in front of the Falcons trade with maybe Denver, who a lot of these mock drafts have them taking a wide receiver. Maybe they feel comfortable. Hey, I'll move back two spots, gain something else, still get my wide receiver, and then the Cowboys get Kinlaw if they love him that much and they want to get in front of the Falcons. Um, I don't know that they'll do that, um, but that but that could be a potential situation there. I know thinking of the Falcons uh, going to the 2017 draft, uh, you know, they had a few picks ahead of uh, – of Dallas and obviously the Cowboys were looking for a D end and they ended up taking Taco Charlton as everyone knows, but they really like Tack McKinley. And if he would have been there, that would have been the guy. And he ended up going to the Falcons a few picks uh, before that. Would, would you give up? Uh, Cause you know, I think it, they would probably, the trade charts a little antiquated, but teams still kind of use it, but it depends kind of what team you're dealing with, but to jump up to 15 and get ahead of Atlanta, that would, you know, I think Denver would start by asking for a fourth and maybe they give you a fifth back, you know. I and mean, I think I would do that. But you start talking about that third-round pick at number 82 for the Cowboys, then I'm out. 
Like I'll just sit there and take a good player at seventeen. Like I, I got to have my premium pick, and you know I got to tell you, there's we'll get to some more names on, on your list. Let's go to your, to, to number two real quick because I want to keep talking about defensive line here. AJ Epinesa from Iowa. I love his tape. Uh, I still have him as my you know second graded edge rusher. I'm not I'm not freaking out, but his combine did make me a little nervous when you start talking about you know the numbers that he put up. He ended up running. Uh, a five one forty, a three cone of seven three four, which is not horrible, but not great. But if you really look back at the history of pass rushers um, on the three cone drill, and I'm not like I'm not one of those guys that overrates drills and says that or, or overrates film. I just think you kind of push them together. But one thing that I've you know you kind of look at the history of guys who run a three cone that's really above seven two zero. You, you see very few of these guys, you know, end up end up working out. Um, now, there, there's obviously uh, exceptions to the rule. Zadarius Smith and Demarcus Lawrence, you know, they had, you know, 7-4 three-cones. But you combine the 7-3-4 three-cone with a 5-1-40. I mean, all these guys all run sub-5-40s. And it just tells you what you see on Epinesa on tape. Kind of slow. He's a kind of slow guy. He's not going to be – uh, you know, the Robert Quinn speed rusher that this team needs, you know, and I think Robert Quinn coming back would be huge for this team. But I, I don't know if A.J. Epinesa just does not excite me uh, at all in the way that Javon Kinlaw does. And, you know, so I, I would take, assuming Byron Jones walks, then you know, I would take C.J. Henderson over him. C.J. Henderson's been my number three right corner from the beginning. Uh, I like TCU's cornerback Jeff Gladney a little bit, but I realize there's going to be some questions about him, but I do like him a little more than Henderson. Um, but like Epinesa not having a great, great combine really had me, you know, he's a guy who before the combine I was probably going, you know what, you could take him at 17, you've addressed your D-line, and then I feel pretty good about second and third round, we'll go work on this secondary. And then now I would kind of go, oh, man, I'd like to have him at pick 24. Or pick 25. I don't know if I want him at pick 17. And I know that sounds greedy, but if there's any time to be greedy, it's in the first round of the NFL draft, right? Yeah. Well, and the thing is, too, is if he would have had a, an awesome combine, then you're looking at a guy that's probably never going to be there at 17. Because if you do have a really good combine with what he's done statistically in college, he's he's not going to be a guy that falls to 17. It just it's such a premium position. With that being said, off of that week of being in Indy, I, where I'm kind of going now is I think that they're going to really push hard to try and re-sign Robert Quinn. And if they can't have him back, then they're going to go in another direction, whether, you know, it was how they required. I mean, they acquired Quinn in a trade last year. Obviously we weren't predicting that at this time a year ago. I think they're going to do something to try and add a veteran pass rusher there if they can't keep Quinn. And so for me, leaving the combine, I'm almost completely focused at 17. If they stay there at corner now, because like you say with Epinesa, like, and he could be a really good player, but maybe he's not that guy right now. Whereas like a corner that you take at 17, whether it's your guy Gladney, whether it's CJ Henderson, whether it's Trayvon Diggs, I feel like those are guys that can come in and make an impact right away, especially when it appears that Byron Jones isn't going to be back. So again, they don't draft like this where they're just going to be, at least they say they're not, they're saying they're going best player available. We'll see if, if some of these receivers are there and they end up taking a corner or defensive lineman. We'll know all about best player available there because I'm pretty sure it'll be best player available at a position in need like it usually is. And to me, everything just keeps lining up for them to take a corner uh, there at 17. And, and that, that's been my prediction, and that's going to stay my prediction uh, 
you know, and not, nothing's really going to change it unless by some chance they were able to re-sign Byron Jones. But I just, I don't, I don't even put that at 5% now. Yeah. Um, well, next on your list is number three, Xavier McKinney, uh, safety from Alabama. And then number four is Grant Delpit, safety from LSU. You know, I, I have uh, kind of late first, early second round grades on both of these guys. Delpit, you know, not working out, knowing any of those drills, you know, kind of still want to see him. And he'll work out at his pro day, and I'm sure he'll be fine. I like Delpit quite a bit more than McKinney. I just think he can do more with him. I think he's a better matchup player. And McKinney, quite frankly, I don't, you know, trust in coverage. And if you want to take a strong safety in the first round, that's fine. But it's kind of against a lot of the positional value trends that I like to follow. And I know last year with the Cowboys, what would have been pick 27 in the draft that ended up going to the Raiders was Jonathan Abram, another strong safety. And the Cowboys did have interest in him before they made the, uh, you know, they made the Amari Cooper trade. And obviously Jonathan Abram wasn't going to follow the second round, but you know, Delpit and McKinney to me are guys that I I have. I'm just kind of keeping in mind, should the Cowboys get there at 17 and the phone starts ringing and they can go back. Maybe a team like New England gets aggressive and goes up. Maybe a team like New Orleans, we've seen them get aggressive and move up. You know, you go back into the 20s, that's kind of an area where I think Delpit and McKinney would make a little more sense. And honestly, after Delpit and McKinney, i got about four other safeties on my board that I would feel good about taking in the premium rounds and adding to the mix. So, you know, Delpit McKinney I, at 17, I, I don't know how good I feel about that. But if we're going back a little bit, I got them in my mind, and I'm uh, going to keep an eye on them. Yeah, I had them three and four on this list just going into the combine, but I definitely would drop them down too. Just from, you know, people you talk to, stuff that you read. Um, again, I just think that corner is just there's more of a premium there. And because of that, I, I would bump up C.J. Henderson. Like I said, like Gladney, as you mentioned, Trayvon Diggs from Alabama, um, those guys, I would move up if I was redoing this list right now. I would, I'd still have McKinney and, and Delpit on there because, like you said, it makes a lot of sense for them to slip. And, and hey, it's not like we have to go back ten years. We just go back to last year's draft, and you saw a lot of safeties that people thought would go somewhere between the nineteen to you know twenty five thirty range there. And you know, when I say that, I mean like Nasir Adderley and Taylor Rapp and Juan Thornhill. And not only were they still there at those spots, but they were there in the late second for the Cowboys to take. And so. It makes me wonder if the McKinney Delpit thing, those are guys that, like you mentioned, might be late first, early seconds to where, hey, if this is like the, I think it was 2013 draft where, you know, instead of drafting, I believe they're at 18 or 19, they traded back with San Francisco, ended up taking Travis Frederick and then gaining a third uh, in, in, in the swap. Uh, then those guys become into play. But if they stay at 17, I, I just don't see it being a safety there. You know, Kinlaw is the only name. And, and I'm, I'm ruling out some of these guys who I just don't think are realistic to get there. The Derek Browns, the Jeffrey Okudas. Um, but Kinlaw is the only name that I would, like, not trade away from, you know? I guess, you know, I would say I would just sit and take how, him. Hey, how high, I would trade how, away from C.J. Henderson. This is, un, even. this is unrealistic, but how high would you trade up for uh, the chance to get Isaiah Simmons? He just had an amazing combine, and I, mean, I, and I just I'm interested to hear what you would say about that. He just seemed he seems like a Swiss Army knife for any defense he can fit in. His window is probably his window is what probably like pick three to pick ten. Yeah, for sure. You know, that's probably his his range. I, I'm just in the boat right now of collecting as many minimal wage players as I can make, uh, just because of the Dak deal, the Amari deal, the potential Byron Jones deal that doesn't look likely. Um, you know, there's just so much things that they have to get done. 
and that makes me want to bring in uh, and uh, as many uh, if I can get four top 100 picks you know that that to me I mean we're talking about a situation where I might be having to remake the entire secondary over the course of the next sure. two years you know <laughs> so like it's I'm not I'm, I'm obviously thinking about Byron but I'm thinking about Cheeto and, and Jordan Lewis too you know and we'll see what happens with Anthony Brown I think uh, him getting hurt might hurt his you know free agent value but that's where I'm, I'm very interested just, in all that. So yeah, I, I don't to to go up for for that guy. I, I just don't. It's going. I don't think I can do it. I think I'm, I'm going to just sit there, and I, you can call me a coward, but I'm just going to sit there at 17. You mentioned in all those secondary needs and stuff like that, man. It sure seems like it's lining up for Mike McCarthy to be drafting kind of like the way he was in, at the end of his time in Green Bay where it was like multiple yeah. DBs first and second round. I know. How did you think that that worked out for them? It was very, very hot and cold. Haha, Clinton Dix turned out to be quite a bit of a disappointment. Um, but, but, but I would say he was solid. But, you know, they were at the, in the end, they were only able to recoup a fourth-round pick for him. And, you know, they didn't really want him back. They were kind of tired of him. Demarius Randall was a disappointment. Um, they basically ran him out of town. Uh, and, you know, he's he's a bit of a head case. Um <laughs> Uh, I mean, he's a character, that's for sure. Um, but, you know, we started to see over the last couple of years, Kevin King worked out. He's been pretty good. Hadn't worked out with Josh Jones, the safety, who they took in the second round, who I believe ended up in the Cowboys practice squad, or at least in for a workout. You know, yeah, it didn't really work out great, man. There's not a lot of names you could go, oh, he's really good. I mean, uh, you know, Jairi Alexander they took – um, and that was in McCarthy's last year. He's in, ended up being good. You know, the, the first round guys they hit on. The second and third round guys they didn't hit on. Uh, I guess is the way I would say. Because I, I guess you have to consider how Clinton Dix a hit, but he took him at pick twenty one and he he was okay. You know, just okay. So you know, I, they hit on those kind of first round guys, not so much the later round guys. And it's on, on your article that I'm going referencing where you wrote ten guys to watch the combine. At five and six, it's Trevon Diggs, the the brother of Stephon, the cornerback from Alabama. And it's C.J. Henderson, the cornerback out of Florida. And C.J. Henderson, I had graded higher than Trevon Diggs by quite a bit. But C.J. Henderson's workout was nuts. And that's kind of put him in this category where C.J. Henderson can go anywhere from, you know, wherever Jeffrey Okuda goes at Ohio State, the pick after that, you know, to 17. That's probably the C.J. Henderson range. I don't think – as Dane wrote in his mock draft today, I don't see you know C.J. Henderson getting any further than 17, and he just blew up the combine a four three nine forty, um, a vertical jump that was incredible at 37 and a half, a broad jump that was insane, showed his strength. You know the 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 big question with C.J. Henderson is you de- didn't always see the ball skills, you know you di- you didn't always see a uh, him go be a big turnover guy. And then, you know, I, I don't really knock corners too much for tackling anymore. I mean, I'd love to have guys that can tackle, but how many cornerbacks are really elite-level tacklers? Very few. So, tackling is a little bit of a thing that needs to be cleaned up. But C.J. Henderson covers, you know. He can cover, and that's just that's what I need right there. I've got him as cornerback three. I like Gladney, the TCU cornerback, a little higher than him. And, you know, the Cowboys will get to work out Gladney at their pro day. So, that's a good thing. They don't have to use a 30 visit on him. They'll get to work out him at the pro day. And Gladney, I think, is, you know, aside from Okuda, I think the best man cover corner. But, man, you start talking about C.J. Henderson and, and the athleticism and, and the upsize, uh, the upside, 
it's a good fit if Byron Jones walks away. You can you can put him out there and say, there's my cornerback one. And, you know, I'm not saying he's elite-level shutdown corner guy immediately, but I think you feel comfortable with him on one side of the field. So I, I, I'm excited about the, the – uh, perspective of him uh, and also you, you had Christian Fulton as the next guy on your list the cornerback from LSU and, and I, I'm not nuts about Christian Fulton I've got him and Trevon Diggs a, a little further down than those guys and more maybe you put those guys with McKinney and Delpit those trade back guys maybe who are on your mind you know these corners are going to fall a little bit too because there's a lot of them so it's going to be interesting to see because there's so many wide receivers do the wide receivers the cornerbacks obviously we talk about the four quarterbacks who are going to go in the top 15 They start pushing guys back. I start feeling a little more nervous about defensive line when you start talking about second and third round picks. I really do. Yeah, well, the other thing is I was going to mention when you say uh, you talk about some of these guys falling and things like that. If you're a Cowboys fan, you're absolutely rooting for as many quarterbacks to go early and as many offensive tackles. And I know in Dane's last mock draft, he's got four quarterbacks, four offensive tackles. So that right there gets you through eight picks. Uh, So when you're sitting there at 17, that's eight guys that you you probably weren't going to draft anyway. And and it's from everything I heard in Indy, it seems like it's pretty strong in offensive tackles in this draft class. And so uh, that's a pretty good situation there. And I guess just in my head, because I'm so used to, since I've covered the Cowboys, that they always sign the guys that they really want. I just am kind of (laughs) just, I feel like they're just going to figure out some way, I don't know how it's going to happen, but that Amari Cooper and Dak Prescott are going to be back. So I just already have them in my head. But for this exercise, we'll pretend that Amari doesn't come back. They they only use the one tag. It's on Dak. They're not able to sign Amari. He goes to the highest bidder. He's gone. If that's the case, then at 17, then wide receiver becomes heavily in play. Um, and if that's the case, um, it seems like Henry Ruggs maybe is the most likely there. C.D. Lamb, Jerry Judy, those are seem to be the consensus top three. Yeah. I think if you can't bring back Amari Cooper, how do you feel about one of those three at 17? More uh, in favor of C.D. Lamb than anyone. He's my number one ranked wide receiver. And who knows, man, right? Where the receivers start. I think there's going to be a lot of teams as we get closer. There's going to be a lot of teams that are a little scattered in who they have at the top. And Ruggs' combine and how fast he ran has obviously caught everyone's attention. But C.D. Lamb and Jerry Judy are much more established uh, solid route runners, uh, you know, much more established wide receivers as a whole. But Henry Ruggs is that wild card who can do things that no one else in the NFL can do besides maybe Tyreek Hill. I think as we get closer, so many teams are going to go, uh, you know what? I feel good about this wide receiver class in the second and third round. And I feel good about getting contributors in the second and third round that, you know what? I don't really need to go wide receiver in the first round. I'll at- I'll attack another need right there. And I could be talking about any team. Let's, let's say I'm talking about the Arizona Cardinals. Well, they may go, you know what? Let me get one of these offensive tackles first because we need to help out the offensive line. And then I can get a guy, and we'll trust the offense, and we'll get a guy in the second round, in the third round. So I don't have a good feel for how far Lamb, Ruggs, Judy drop – you know, it's tempting to take to, – to kind of, to me, it's a more of a gamble to take Henry Ruggs just because there's a little bit of – he's just not as good of a route runner as C.D. Lamb and Jerry Judy is, you know. But the speed is such a blur. Yeah, you know, I'm comfortable taking him at 17. Uh, in fact, I would. it's fun and I would enjoy it. <laughs> but, 
It just goes back to how frustrating that defense was last year, you know? So, again, I'm going into everything with Dak and Amari Cooper on this team. Obviously, you got to reshuffle the deck if Amari Cooper's not on this team. And I think wide receiver does become something that they really take seriously. I think it's something they would do if Amari Cooper's not here. And I think they saw how they, – they know they can't do that again without a number one wide receiver like they did in 2018, you know? The reason they traded for Amari Cooper in the first place. They know they can't do that again. So I do think they would definitely – and I think McCarthy would be there as an offensive-minded guy going, hell yeah, wide receiver, let's go. So I think you bring up a good scenario, and maybe this is a Maury Cooper thing. Maybe we need to be talking about that more because well, then also, I do think they would do it. I, well, then the flip side of it, though, is too, is like you said about the Packers, how the success they had was with the guys in the first round. When you look at the Cowboys and their secondary, like the guys that, they, that have been their best corners – uh, at least since I've been around uh, down here, are, have been guys that have been significant investments too. Whether you go all the way back to Terrence Newman and Mike Jenkins, or um, you know Byron Jones, a first round pick, Brandon Carr was a high level free agency uh, signing, um, which they don't do anymore. And then you got Orlando Scandrick, which was a fifth round guy that you know it ended up working out. That was a great pick by them, but. Generally, I mean, Cheeto was a second round pick. Jordan Lewis was a third round pick. You know, I mean, uh, if you really think that you're, you have to replace Byron Jones in the draft, can you afford to wait to 51? Well, think, think, think about it this way. So let's say Byron's gone. It feels like cornerback. Uh, Amari Cooper's gone. I think it's wide receiver. Here's my question. Robert Quinn gone. Maybe you don't get any good news on Randy Gregory, which I know is a way thing. That's another whole thing. <laughs> um, aren't you going? My God, I've got to do something on this defensive line. I really feel like pass rusher. So are two or two? I really feel like if that a pass rusher is going to be somebody that I, I really feel like they're going to have a veteran on that other side. I, I just I'm. I, how how much they went after Robert Quinn? We didn't really expect that last year. If they don't think they're going to have Robert Quinn back. Which I, I would say right now that they think that there's a, there's a decent shot, but if they don't, I don't see them being like, well, we got to get it at 17, and, and and maybe it factors in a little bit that you know it didn't work out with Taco, it doesn't appear to be working out with Tristan Hill. I don't feel like that they're going to sit there and want to wait for a defensive end to develop, and and even as as good as AJ Epinesa has been in college, they might think that that's a little bit of a really outside of Chase Young, who isn't going to have take some time to develop, whereas a corner can come in and be an impact guy right away. I think that if Quinn's gone. I think they address it somehow with a veteran. What if I threw out the name uh, Caleb on Chase on of LSU? You know, I don't know enough about him. It's a little rich for me at 17. Yeah. It's a little rich for me at 17, but he could probably play that right defensive end role for you. I mean, I think Epines is a better player personally. Um I just, I, uh, Well, then it all comes down to Jim Tom Sula then. then <laughs> yes. I'm okay with that, actually. <laughs> so, of two of the three, Amari, Byron, and Robert Quinn, how many of those three guys do you think are back next year? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Amari and Robert Quinn are back. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I think it happens. Um, I, I've The ship has sailed with Byron. I don't see any way that that – I mean, th- here, here's the scenario for Byron to come back. <laughs> he goes on the open market. There's nobody interested. He, like, falls, like – it's literally, like, the second or third day in free agency, and you don't hear anything about him. There really isn't the interest that, that some thought there would be – or most everybody thought there would be. He's ranked almost – every list I look at, he is the number one corner in this class. And then all of a sudden he makes it a day three or four free agency. And then all of a sudden they're like, well, no, man, well, well, yeah, if you're willing to take this, you know, we'll, we'll pay you that to stay here. But that's not going to happen. Someone is going to pay for him. So 
I, I just I, I feel like that that's done. Robert Quinn's age is what keeps him in play for me. You know, Byron's entering the prime of his his career. Uh, Robert Quinn, you know, when you get to be a pass rusher like that and you're on the other side of 30, you know, I don't know that what his market's going to be. And I, and I do think that he, he enjoyed his time in Dallas. And so uh, if it's close, I think he'd, I think he'd prefer to stay here and, and, and rush the passer opposite of Lawrence. So because of that, I think both of them are back. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you 100%. That's exactly how I would have. I think it could go down. But I guess it wouldn't surprise me if it's just one back. But Amari Cooper feels like a lot to be back. Um, hey, what if it's none of them? Then you better do something in free agency. <laughs> like you better do something, and and, and you know you you wrote another article. Uh, we're almost going to wrap it up here, but let me let me run through this real quick. You've got another article that you wrote: ten potential Cowboys. This is back earlier in February. Ten potential players, and this is just scatter shooting. Uh, but ten players that Dallas could target in free agency. Well, Mike Daniels, you wrote defensive tackle. Obviously, he's a little older, hurt. He's a cheap Blue Star special. Demarius Randall, I don't think that's terribly likely because I think he and McCarthy get sideways at some point. I like that you put tight end Mercedes Lewis on there, uh, who has been a great clubhouse guy and who they have really liked in Green Bay as a blocker as well. Um, Haha Clinton Dix, I think, gets sideways with McCarthy too. Um, but a guy that you have down there who I, I'm very intrigued by and have wanted, and I don't think it would be something where they would be, you know, I feel like Garrett wouldn't like this, but I don't think Mike McCarthy cares. Dominican Sue. I still think he can play. Started every game last year, and I know he didn't have, you know, 10 sacks or whatever, but I still think there's something there. And that's a guy, if I got to go one year at $8 million, let's go, right? I mean, I mean the, the guy plays uh, 16 games every year. And doesn't that offset a little bit? And maybe it's a little different, but doesn't it kind of offset something should Robert Quinn go? Same type of money. Same type of, I mean, it's an interior player, but whatever. Kind of same type of money and a little pass rush and just a threat, you know, up the middle who you just haven't had. Yeah, and he's clearly he's clearly he's clearly fine with signing one year deals. Uh, he'll give you sixteen games, and he's in the pass rusher he used to be. Obviously, he's thirty three now, but he's still really solid against the run, and he will pr- provide some pass rush. And you put him next to Demarcus Lawrence in, in a bunch of situations. Hey, maybe that that's your stopgap for a year. I don't know. Seems interesting. And then, to me. I, and then I draft Florida cornerback C.J. Henderson at seventeen, and I have Sue and Henderson playing the role of Byron Jones and Robert Quinn. You know, maybe. It's not as good, but it definitely doesn't cost you near as much once you rule out not having to sign uh, Byron. And then it kind of frees up some things in some other areas. Um, so I, I want to mention a couple, uh, two, two more players real quick. You know that they have a love affair with Boise State. Um, and maybe that was a Garrett thing. You know, so it is interesting that things are a little different. Curtis Weaver is a defensive end who I thought was just kind of chunky. Kind of slow, but he went out and had a great workout at the combine at a seven second three cone drill, which is really good. One of the top three cones for edge rushers. And I was sitting there going, Oh crap, his workout was really good. And it made me kind of go watch him again. And then I watched a little more of his tape and went, You know what? He's better than I, I said he was the first time I watched him. So Curtis Weaver's a guy, second or third round, starting defensive end. I'm a defensive end guy. Maybe he's a, a guy who could down the road be a starting defensive end. I think Curtis Weaver's a name we need to keep an eye on just because of this team's history with Boise State. And the other name that I like, man, third-round safety, Jeremy Chin from Southern Illinois. Now, we know Will McClay has shied away from small school players. Uh, um, 
the Lenore Ryan safety, you know, Kyle Duggar has gotten a lot of the attention. Jeremy Chen had a great workout at the Combine to supplement a great senior bowl week as well. 6'3", 220, a 4'4'5". He comes in and he's your strong safety who can also cover in mis, uh, mismatch situations. I think you can have him cover tight ends some things like that. That's where I kind of go, okay, well, now I can still leave Xavier Woods at free safety, continue to develop him there, and there's my strong safety. And, man, if you could get Jeremy Chen at pick 82, and maybe you can't, but if you could get him at pick 82, I think that's a pretty good little pick to address that safety position as well because I think he immediately steps in and plays strong safety and plays special teams for you. Weaver said that his first visit, uh, official visit, uh, during the combine was with the Cowboys, and they asked him, you know, hey, what what is it? What is what's the reputation of the Cowboys? You know, at Boise State, and he obviously told them that like everybody there talks about it. How you know it's not just Leighton and, and Demarcus Lawrence, but I mean it goes back to obviously Orlando Scandrick. They you know they recently drafted Cedric Wilson. They've you know signed guys like George Ioka, like. People know about that, and so uh, it, clearly they're kicking the tires on that idea because, hey, if they can't get a pass rusher at 17, maybe this is a guy that's there uh, potentially at 51. So, uh, hey, maybe, the, maybe like you said, maybe the Boise State love is partly a Garrett thing, but maybe it's also Will McClay in, in the scouting department. So um, I hate to just peg a guy with a certain team just because of the school he went to, but there is, this, there is a pretty long list of interest there between the two. Man, we've uh, I've had fun talking talking about this stuff with you, man. Um, but I think we're going to come back in a couple days and do a little mock draft action. So I think that's going to be uh, – I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be a little fun. Again, we're 50 days away from the draft. And there's still so many questions. We're really, what, how many days away from free agency? What are we, 10 days away? Around that? No, 10 days, that's Saturday. Yeah, less than two weeks. Yeah, I mean, free agency is coming up in two weeks. So – we're uh we're starting to to get back into uh the meat of things here. So, um I just uh well I guess do you have any final thoughts? Should we wrap it up now and get back to it on Friday with the mock draft or do you have anything else you want to get off your chest, man? Anything you want to lay on the line here? <laughs> Not, not really. I, I do think that this mock draft scenario is, is going to be cool because uh, there's going to be a, a few of us and uh, we're all going to uh, do our own and then kind of uh, talk through what our decision making was. Uh, uh, I've already ran through a couple of times, a couple of test runs. And uh, uh, for some reason, uh, all the corners I liked went off the board within like 10 picks. And so I pass on one in the first round and I was left with nothing in the second uh, or the third. So I don't think that scenario will realistically happen. But hey, it's fun. We're going to we're going to do that. Uh, knock that out. I think uh, I think it'll if anything, it'll just give you guys a little bit more insight on kind of how we're thinking about some of these guys and how we think, where, you know, the direction the Cowboys might go. Yeah, I, I've, I admit I've done this an embarrassing amount of times, too. So but I'll, I'll settle in uh, you know, late, late uh, Thursday night and I'll do one like right before I go to bed. It'll be the, the big one, the, the official one. And hopefully we all have some different outcomes and we can chop up some of these players and talk about the Cowboys future. So as always, thank you to the listener for listening to about them Cowboys. Um, Obviously shout out to our man producing the show, Kent Garrison, keeping it alive in Indianapolis with John last week. That's father, John Mishota. And I, I'm Kevin KT Turner, and until next time, this has been an episode of About Them Cowboys. We will see you 
sooner than later with a mock draft episode on The Athletic. 